what I want to do is just put ourselves in the story. So let, let's first, let's think about Jesus' frame of life. If you have less than a week to live, what kind of words are you speaking? Take care of business, right? If you knew you were going to die this coming week, you're going to say, the following Friday night, I'm going to die. Are you taking the time right now to tell your best jokes? Talk about your TV shows or who's playing Thursday night. Oh, you've got a lot to give out to your family, right? Let me talk to my wife. Let me let me tell the people around me how much I love them when I need to do it. Like, if you know what you want this one for. So now keep in mind, this is what Jesus is going into. He knows he's done. He's telling everybody. We're going to see it. He's going to talk about his pending death. So when you think about the seriousness of what he's talking about, this is the last thing he's going to tell the God of Masses. Right? So we're done with two stories. I'm not saying he's the story to keep, but he's talking about parables, he's talking about all these things, right? He's, he's at the beginning of his ministry, he's a little cagey, right? Like, you know, you, it's, I don't know if you've ever seen this, but as you study Jesus, understanding at the beginning of the Bible is a lot tougher as you, until you get to the end of the gospel, he starts to become much more pointed and much more clear. It's really an awesome problem, right? Just look at some of these parables out and see if they don't get easier to understand as you progress through them. Okay, so this is his mindset. And this is his mission. Now, these were the people. Um, now, if we do by way of recap, uh, so the major events that have happened is one is we can't miss out on the fact that Lazarus was raised from the dead just recently. Right? So Jesus uh, has a friend. His name is Lazarus. Does anyone remember Lazarus and two sisters name? Mary and Martha. Right? So Lazarus dies. They all come. got sick. And so Jesus, and your friend Lazarus is sick. Jesus hung out for you. Right? He didn't go and see him. Oh, okay. Four days later, well, not four days later, Jesus shows up and comes to find out Lazarus has been dead for four days. Jesus weeps, right? He's talking about all these things. And then he goes to the gravestone and he calls out. What does he say? Lazarus. Comes out. This is never let him go. We've got the famous story, right? So he's bound up. And Lazarus comes back to life. Now, the Bible, we've been studying this, it says that a lot of believers. I like that to say a lot of people were coming to Jesus because of this miracle. This is a big deal about the But previously, Jesus' ministry kind of has the flows. Like he picks up people and then he says or does something that people go away. Right? The most famous incident is when he's like, if you don't eat my body or drink my blood, you can't. You have a heart. No, well, this spirit is me, right? So what happens to Jesus is busting out the disciples because of Lazarus. Now, the Lazarus thing is really interesting because when he raises Lazarus, this is when the Pharisees, according to the book of John, decide to kill Jesus. They said, you know what? This is it. This guy has to die because what's happening is all these people are coming to Jesus. So the Pharisees said, okay, because of this, now, can you imagine the mindset you have to be in to kill a guy because somebody was raised from the dead? You really have to hate this person, right? To be honest with you, we all knew somebody and they're dead for four days. We verified, right? They're dead. They're in the ground. And even if it was a Mormon or somebody else with a different religion, the person was raised from the dead, I wouldn't think you should kill this guy because he doesn't think like I do. Right. right? It's like, I need to figure something out. Something crazy is happening. I'm say this. Now, to make matters even wilder is Lazarus is showing up, so people are thronging Jesus, but they're also coming because they want to see Lazarus. So the, what did the Pharisees decide to do about Lazarus? We should kill that guy too. Right? Nothing better than being brought back from the dead happened when he wants to kill you for just coming 
So this is the scene that's happening. This is how angry everybody is. Jesus is no one who's going to his death. The Pharisees are breathing fire. This guy needs to die. The crowds are showing up in mass, right? So the next thing happens, Jesus gets anointed by Lazarus' two sisters. And it's a symbolic act of his burial, right? Remember that? So she puts the, the perfume on him, right? But almost a year's wait, she bows him, right? So in biblical weights and measures, it's like 12 and a half ounces of perfume that she got on him. My daughter was like, she first bought a perfume. Did it like six clicks, we smelled it for a week. Right, you know, like, oh, I love this perfume. And you, you remember, does everyone remember being a teenager, like your first dance or something? You're like, okay, I got some roots, I got something. <laughs> and you have no idea that a little bit goes a long way, right? And of course, this is a room with a bunch of, you know, 200 other guys who do the same exact thing. So it's, uh, every female is a bit unnoticed, but the guy's there, right? So imagine these 12 ounces being dumped on Jesus. And he says, and, and uh, Judas specifically is the actor. And soul was running out of course. Jesus said, like, leave her alone. She's done this for my marriage. Right? It's symbolic of the involvement here. Because later on, they're going to anoint Jesus for real. Uh, Joseph and uh, Nicodemus do that. Right? They can use the body and the back of the forehead, like spices and all that stuff, the back of our marriage. So this symbolic act, Jesus basically let her go. She's done this for my marriage. So the smell of Jesus now, it's all over. But my point of not just teasing my daughter for strange enough for a field. It's the idea now the next thing Jesus does is he rides into Jerusalem on a Roman war, right? No. No. Was he riding on a donkey? Because the Bible says, there's, there's, we talked about this two weeks ago, right? This great trail of the Bible of kings riding in on a donkey. So Jesus rides in there, and there are people crowd because they want to see him. And they lay down their coats and they lay down palm branches. And what do they cry out? Blessed is he who comes to the name of the Lord. Blessed be the king of Israel, right? They're crying out. They recognize at this brief moment that Jesus is the king. So they call that the triumphant entry in Jerusalem. So Jesus is now ridden into Jerusalem on his donkey. I would almost guarantee you can smell that perfume that they made on this donkey, this king. And everybody is crying out. So we have an image of what's happening. So there's uh, you know a million people swarming in Jerusalem, and this is the top. Okay. The only way it is such a, a bad analogy, but it'd be like I was alive at the back when the Beatles came. Right? Let's say it's 1965, you're in New York chasing it, and the Beatles, and you lose your mind. I don't think there's anyone that big anymore. Like, uh, and this is what it is. That's what I think. Everybody wants to see what this happened. Okay, so this is where we're at. So let's go to John 12, uh, 20 through 50. So I'm not going to be able to get into every little detail. Sorry, we're not going to have enough time. I want to recommend, uh, I think it's worth it. Your question had in the library, it's not necessarily this one, but they do sell um, one of the commentaries. So Trace actually uses a different one than I do. Trace got two of them. I have two of them, they're both different. Um, uh, they, you can ask us for our recommendations that I have related to the experts if you read about the original languages. You just couldn't have on your shelf, right? You can go through there and study. I brought mine if you want to see what a, a 
commentary looks like. A lot of people have a study by it. Can you get a few notes? But this is just on the book of John. So we're going to read 30 verses. We're not going to go through every one of them. Pause sometimes. I'm going to point out a couple things that I think you should explore on your own, or maybe something you're not seeing in the text. And then what we're going to do is we're going to go back, and I'm going to do my best to distill down a very important point Jesus is trying to make over and guide you down. plan? So let's read, um, starting in verse 1. Uh, I will read, you don't have to read that book. It says, Now, there were certain Greeks among those who came up to worship at the feast. Okay, so before it, it's all been about the Jews wanting to see Jesus. So we have a scene changer that now the Greeks want to see him. Now the Greeks, remember, they're up there for Passover. So these are not pagans. These are people that have converted to Jews. Right? These are people that are worshiping God Israel. They're there for the Passover. But just like those people, because you want to hang out with your people, right? So the Greeks. So the Greeks want to see him in verse 21. It says, then they came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida and Galilee, and asked him, saying, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip came and told Andrew, and in turn, Andrew and Philip told Jesus. So it's possible. So this is a weird detail. Why would the Greeks ask Philip? So this is just good Jew wisdom. Philip is a Greek. Philip is not Greek, he's a Jew. He's a second Jew, but it's a Greek name, right? So the Greeks are like, oh, here's Philip. Here's one of our guys, right? I'm going to ask you a question. You better get this right. Only one other disciple has a Greek name. Can you guess what that name is? That is. Who did Philip get? Yeah, that's the only one Greek name. Right. So Philip and so you see what's happening here. Because before, Jesus says perfect things to people that aren't Jews, right? He told them, well, not the one at the well, but he told them one woman, like, she wanted to be healed. And Jesus called him, basically called her a dog, right? Like, no, I come from Jews. And so the Greeks are a little bit hesitant. They've probably heard that Jesus is there to Jews. So what happens is the two guys, the two Greek names, right? They're like, huh, hey, we're, we're Greeks. Can you ask Jesus who you want to see? Does that make sense? you see what's happening? Okay. I thought that question was very interesting. I'm sorry. Sometimes I think I'm cool than this is like Okay. Verse 23, but Jesus answered them, saying, The hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Okay. Did Jesus grant the request? No. Because what did what did they just ask him? Hey, the Greeks want to see you. What does Jesus say? He says he answered them. He always comes with the Son of Man may be glorified. Okay, this is classic me. Ask me a question and tell me something that you realize you want to ask, right? And then he says, Most assuredly I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces each grain. Now, 23 says, The hour has come. This is the fourth time, if you can underline this, the hour, this would be important if you're trying to understand John. That Jesus references this idea of an hour has come. The first three times he said, It is not my hour. You might remember the miracle, the very first miracle, when Jesus said his mother, right? The water and the wine. She said, Hey, we're out of wine. He says, what, what's, this, what's this mean, woman? Right? And she looks at him and says, hey, Oh, I'm sorry. What does Jesus say right after that? What's this mean, woman? My hour has not yet. And she's like, Whatever you just. Right. He says, we do it. And we get to right. So he says, my hour is not going to come. My hour is not going to come. My hour is 
not going to come. And now, hey, the Greeks want to see you. He says, surprise, my hour is here. Right? Jesus is in the spirit, meaning he's, he's very plugged in right now. And they ask him this question, and he's like, it's time. My hour is here. Okay? That's, to me, that's very, very heavy. Like, this statement is heavy. My hour is here. And then in 24, again, he says, well, sir, I say to you, listen, bring the wheat falls to the ground and dies, and remains alone. But it dies, it produces much bread. But he who loves his life will lose it, and he who makes his life in this world will keep it for uh, when, we, when the Bible talks about hating someone, hating your life, this isn't like a very evil thing for Jesus to do. It's a Hebrew idiom, right? To hate something is in contrast to how much you should love something else, right? So Jesus said, if, you, if no one hates their brother and father, you can't be my disciple. Does he want them to hate their parents? No, it's a contrast, right? Like, your love for me should overshadow, like, the love you think you have your parents. That's how far it is. Okay. 26, if anyone serves me, let him follow me. And where I am, where my servants uh, will be also. But if anyone serves me, him my father will honor Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. We go back to the hour. I don't know if you picked up on this, but there's no word of except in the moment of John. Okay. So this is kind of that moment. Because if you're familiar with Jesus, is before he was crucified, he's praying right before the birth. He says, my soul is ready to trouble, the sweating drops of blood. It's this whole thing. John doesn't have that story, but we have Jesus recounting right here, my soul is troubled. He's like, hey, what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? But for this purpose, I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. Therefore, the people who stood by and heard it said that it would thunder, and others said the angel had spoken to Jesus answered and said, This voice did not come because of me, but for your sake. Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. And if I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people myself. myself. So, has a voice ever spoken from the heavens before Jesus is born? Yes. This is a thing of God who audibly speak for the sake of other people around him. Now, the people were wrong. Some people heard it from me. Some people said an angel spoke. Well, either of those two camps, right? You know, God spoke, right? And he spoke to Jesus. Clearly, people didn't really understand what people said, right? But they knew that God was responding to something. You see when Jesus says that he goes, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men to myself. Now, it's important we started this conversation with the idea that the Greeks are wanting to see Jesus. He said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men. Does this mean that all people are saved? No. no. He's actually been talking about this name is on the name of the Greeks. God made a promise at the beginning of your Bible to Abraham to make a, a great humanization. His descendant to be as many as the stars in the sky, the sky and the sand and the sea. Right? The nations, every tribe, every country, every people. And if Jesus is lifted up, it's no longer about Jesus. This call will go out to all nations, to all people. We're living in that reality right now. Right? The, the church in America is a fine example. Right? I know this may shock you, but I, I took my DNA results and I'm 99.9999% white. <laughs> <laughs> One, I'm sorry, 0.001% who knows, right? 
I'm guessing that 0.001 is also white, that's my guess, could be right. But Irish, German, right, in our congregation, right, we had people that were very aged, that's all the terms, Japanese, Koreans, Nigerian, Cameroon, what else do we have? Hispanic. Hispanic. Any other fun stuff? I don't know. Because the Pharisees did not confess him, because they should be let out of the synagogue. 
For they love the praises of men more than the praises of God. And Jesus cried out. So when he cries out the Bible, literally, he's addressing the whole crowd. Everyone's gathered, and now he's really going to go for it. Right? So he cries out and says, He who believes in me, believes not in me, but in him who sent me. Remember the people that are believing that are scared to say they believe in him because of people. Jesus now is addressing those people. He says, Look, if you believe in me, it's not me you believe in. You believe in the one who sent me. In 45, he says, And he who sees me sees him who sent me. I have come as a light into the world, and whoever believes in me should not abide in darkness. And if anyone hears my words and does not believe, I do not judge him. For I do not come to judge the world, but to save the world. He who rejects me and does not receive my words has that which judges him. The word that I have spoken will judge him in the last day. For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me gave me a command that I should say uh, that I should say and what I should speak. And I know that the commandment is everlasting life. Therefore, whatever I speak, just as the Father has told me, so I speak. That's the last thing he tells you. I am the light. Walk in the light. Go back and, and read this. Study, meditate on it. Reflect on it. The last thing he told everybody as a group is that you are going to be Now, that's the story, right? Because we saw that Jesus, he's gone. He's hidden from it. In a little while, he's going to be arrested. He's got some things to teach his disciples. He's going to die. But there's two quick things I want to pull out of this text. Uh, and I want to start along the journey to really think about what he's saying. Go back to verse 24. And you don't have to put it on the screen if you don't want Chris to jump out to the next scripture. But if you have your Bibles, I'm going to read 24 and I've got this This is to me the biggest thing he said. I want to have it. It says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life is going to keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. Underline that, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. So Jesus is saying, look, in order to produce much more wheat, if I'm the true stock of wheat, I have to die that's going to produce more wheat. You see that. But then he says, if anyone serves me, you must follow me. In context, Jesus is saying, he said, where is Jesus going right now? The cross, the death. He says, follow me. So what is Jesus really saying? He's not just saying, follow me, like, I don't want this He goes, where I'm going, so my servants are going to be. Jesus is saying, I'm going to die. The wheat must die, the roots of the wheat. And where I'm going, you must go. As the cross, as death. Now, is Jesus, is this a weird suicide? No. We have some all speech. Is Jesus actually weak? No. Right? He's speaking something. Uh, it's going to be on the board. Romans 6 3. Here's what I want to point out. Here's one of the, I'm big on things that run across the Bible. The idea of nine to self and nine runs across your Bible. Romans 6.3 says, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized in Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? So Jesus said, Where I'm going, you must follow. You must follow him to death. It says, When we've been baptized, 
Christ baptized into his death, right? We get what the symbols of right? We are buried in Christ. We're raised in the newness of life. Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. Have you ever thought about that? He told us to follow him. So when he went to the cross, who went with him? I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me. This idea when Jesus says that you must follow me is we have to learn how to die to self. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15 31, he says, I protest, brothers, but by my pride in you, which I have Christ Jesus our Lord, I die when? Every day. Every day. So here's your first note is death in Jesus is every day. We die to ourself every single day. My servant, we must. All this is the last thing he's speaking to everybody. You want to be a disciple? Follow the cross. Die and you Matthew 16, 24. Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Self-denial is something that is a not only in our church, but I would say in most churches. Some people do it, yes, I don't want everyone together. But it's not a great practice in mine. I say that as my shame, right? One of the weakest areas in my spiritual life is fasting. I've actually gotten better over the last year, but it's tough for me. I flush the right? I do about 12 hours in, 18 hours in, and I have to wait two hours in. It's just now, if I'm busy with work, I cannot eat for four hours a day. I'm good to go. I've actually got 30 hours without eating because of it. I was flying internationally, and uh, my stomach was upset. I ate something, but this isn't going to happen. So I didn't eat anything. I had a four-hour flight to China. Got there. It was real Chinese food. Now I had express milk. I'm not eating that. I'm just going to go back to bed. So 30-some hours later, I'm feeling better. I was thinking, no, I didn't think I was going to die. Just live my life. Oh, I'm going to pray and fast on Friday and Saturday. But Friday night, I got to do sweats. And I'm like, you know, if I have any meat, I'm going to crave something, right? Anyways, you've got something I don't pray. So I'm not asking you to do something that I don't want to practice. It's something I need to do myself. It may not just be food. How much do we buy ourselves? Do we ever just stop and say no to ourselves? Just because you have the ability and resources to fulfill your appetites, it's not something you told yourself no for the sake of the cross. You're going to deny myself. Maybe what I'm doing, I can actually give to somebody else or do for somebody else. And that's what the servants, that's what he says. You're going to follow me? Deny yourself, right? Denying sexual appetites. Denying things like to each his own, right? Like I'm not going to tell you what the Lord is speaking to you. But I will venture right now, you know exactly. The word speaks. You know what you need to deny yourself. Don't say that out loud. Does anyone knows what you need to deny yourself? Right? Are you hearing that? Is there something you know you need to deny yourself? Apparently it's not very good for you. No, I'm not saying that to any jokes. Anyway, you don't know what to deny yourself? Maybe you never thought about it. Okay. Take a lot of questions. Romans 6 to 11. Report to it. It says, so you also must consider yourselves dead to sin. 
a lie to God in Christ Jesus, but not sin, therefore reign in your mortal body. But you, uh, to make you obey his passions, do not present your members to sin as instruments for righteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been uh, brought, uh, bought, uh, from, sorry, brought uh, from death to life, and your members to God as instruments of righteousness, for sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not ready to walk so it's not only self-denial, you know, to, to eat or not to fast. Is that a sin? No. Is to buy yourself things a sin? No, it's a sin. So we have that level. But there is sin where it says consider yourselves dead to sin. This is also death, right? We're dead to sin. Right? Before we were dead in sin, and now we're dead to sin. You see the difference? Before the cross, we had no choice. We did these things. And now because of the cross, we have the Spirit of God which gives us the ability to actually say no to start to crucify this flesh and our desires. This is worn out through prayer, right? Fellowship, confession, accountability, all the things we preach all the time. Discipleship, right? You know, that is. Okay. Now, look at verse 31 of John. Now, let's marry this to this other idea. So, we, are you tracking what's happening here? Is if we want to follow Jesus, we must die. Yes? Amen. 31, he says, Now is the judgment of the world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. This is a phrase. It's kind of seeming that he doesn't want to fit in with this whole death thing that Jesus has done. But we must die. We must wait. You must follow me. Right? I am the light. Like, I, I must be lifted up. He's got all these sayings. We have this random. That was the judgment of this world. Now the ruler is going to cast out God. This fits in perfectly, so let's unpack this and we'll be done. 2 Corinthians 4 4 says, In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Friends, the ruler of this world is Satan. This is through the Bible through Christ. He said the ruler of this world is cast out. He's not talking about some supreme president. Caesar, right, Pharisees. He's actually talking about the spiritual force behind all of this. And the scripture gives him many names. This is just one example. The God of this world. He calls him the prince of the power of the air. Right? And all these names for Did you know that? And that's who this is. Now, in John 8, 44, Jesus is talking to the Pharisees. He says, you are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's Friends, before we belong to Christ, I got bad news for you. Remember who we belong to? The spirit of this world. Yeah. Our father was also and we were loved this world. And we get translated from a different kingdom. So Jesus here is saying that the ruler of this world is being cast out. Well, why does that matter? Because there's something interesting the Bible also says about Satan that he's got power over in Hebrews 2.14. It says, since therefore the children share in the flesh and blood, he himself likewise, speaking of Jesus, partook of the same things. That through death, he might destroy the one who has the power of death. If somebody has the power of death, Jesus had to destroy it if it wasn't Jesus. Oh, that is the devil who calls. Verse 15, and deliver those who through the fear of death from the subject, the lifelong state. So Satan here in the Bible also tells us in Hebrews that he has the power of death. Does that mean Satan kills each and every one of us? 
something about death that Jesus had to destroy. So when Jesus says, now that the ruler of this world is cast out, and Hebrews tells us he was destroying the power of the one who lived death, then all of us live forever in this moment. Yeah, we still die. So he must be talking about something other than physical death. Right? In 1 Corinthians 15, 26, it says the last enemy we destroy is death. Right? So physical death can also die, but that hasn't died yet. So what happened was, at the very beginning of our Bible, is there was a man who sinned, a man and his wife. What happened? They died. It's a little bit of a death, but it doesn't. What we do is you will die. When Jesus talks about the ruler of his world being cast out, he's pronouncing that that curse that happened in Genesis is coming to an end. Now, what does it have to do with us not? Go to Revelation 12, 9 through 11. Let's, let's wrap this up. So, this is John is, is seeing the end of all things, and he says, And the great dragon was thrown down, and the ancient serpent, who was called the devil, and say, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down on the earth, and the angels, and his angels were thrown down with him. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come down through this, for the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God. They have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of the testimony. They love not their lives, even So Satan is also called the accuser of the brethren. Here's the power of death. Follow me on this list. If you've been zoning out because you just don't like me, this is where the is, which today is true. Jesus says, follow me. He says, when you do this, you're identifying with my death. And my, Jesus said, my death destroyed the accuser as a brother. Somebody holds the power of death. And the reason why Satan holds the power of death is because upon a man or a woman's death, he then can accuse you before God of all your sins and you're judged. You have the power of spiritual death. He's the accuser. He accuses us daily before God. And Jesus said, This is broken. The power of the accuser is broken. Because there's nothing to accuse you for if you are dead in Jesus. He paid the price, He paid the penalty. This is how this whole thing plays out. If we are truly dead and we're really in service and we die to self, right? Paul says it's for me to live. It's Christ, right? That's his game, right? We're dead in Jesus. And the accuser then stands before God and says, this person this, this moment boy, we're dead. There's nothing. We're dying in Jesus. That's what he You see that this is the, Jesus has basically called out this whole plan of salvation. There is no more power in his accusation. For the belief, the power of death is broken. Because we're alive forevermore. Right? We're in a body right now that we die, sure. But when we die, do we really die? No, we do come back. And I thought she said it was even better. Now, don't put the next slide up there. This is the, the last thing. Let me ask you a question. Is a dead man scared of death? Is a dead man scared of death? Now, we all don't want to die. I don't want to leave this earth worthy. I love my kids and my wife, and I'm not, I'm not saying we don't have these things. Are we dead according to Jesus? Yeah. We're dead in heaven. We 